Hello and welcome back to Sitting in Jams. This is episode 15 that you're listening to. Uh, today we've got a super fun one. We're going through different learning methods. So, you know, your tab, your um, notation, you know, your reading music, your ears, things like that. So we're just going to dive straight into it. Um, oh, before we dive straight into it, what would be great is if everyone listening could leave us a review, preferably a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated by all of us. Um, yeah, so if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just click our name, you'll see the wee star thing, click on it, ping five in there, then just enjoy the rest of this episode. Callum, please introduce today's question. Nice. So yeah, we're just going to go straight into what is your process for learning music? Um, yes. So yeah, Reese, do you want to take it away? Please, I'd love to. What is my process for learning music? Now, when I think about the process for me learning music, let's just say learning a new tune, because learning music is quite a broad thing, and I went to university to, I guess, learn a bit about music. But if we put it into something that is more appropriate to my line of work, let's just say I've got a tune that I need to learn for a gig, or a whole set of tunes, which is probably more accurate. What do I do? All right. I think the first thing that I do is I try to listen as much as possible. Ideally, I'd listen to it at least seven times. And I want to get to the point in those seven listens where, as Jack mentioned in the previous episode, I'm listening to all the little elements and I can hear the cues coming in with the drums, the bass, the singing, whatever else might be there. And I know where I fit into that picture. Maybe not physically on the instrument at this point, but I can at least hear it. And an additional layer of that learning process for me is that if I can sing it, then I'm kind of, I'm going to win a lot quicker, I think. I'm a real believer in if you can sing it in some ways, you've internalized it enough that the process for physically getting onto the instrument should be a lot smoother, at least in my experience. So yeah, the initial phase of me trying to learn a piece would be that I would listen to a lot. I say seven times, like that's maybe an arbitrary number. Maybe science could back that up somehow. But, you know, at least seven times I'll listen to the piece, really try and pick it all apart and hear what sections are coming up and how I fit into it. And then what I would do is I would try my best just to use my ears, actually, just to get it all down. Now, if I've got a big list of songs that I need to get through, it's really useful to have some sort of lead sheet or notation because it means that I can use my ears, but I can also really quickly just see, oh, that's what they want me to do. Can I hear that? I can see it. All right, great. Tick. Done. Um, so I would say that primarily when I'm learning a new piece, it's about engaging my ears first and then my eyes. I find that if I use my eyes first just to like read the notation, for example, I can, I, I don't always pick up on the nuance of how it's all kind of played and things can get a bit murky for me. But yeah, I'd say just briefly there that my process is ears first, eyes second, and then I just rock out, show up to the gig, ready. <laughs> what about you, Jack? I came from like a classical background, so I was always taught to read first and listen second. Or I don't know, maybe that's not fair to <laughs> maybe that's not fair to the teachers that that taught me that way. But oftentimes that's the way that the syllabus sort of taught you, um, and it placed a lot of importance on it. And you know, I realised with a lot of the music that I am interested in that I want to transcribe as well. My my best method, like you, is really to just take things in orally first, and then. Um, and then, yeah, sure, find out about it, what it looks like on a page and that sort of thing as well. But I'd say one of the big and perhaps most important elements for me personally 
to really know something as well because for lots of people sometimes learning a tune can take i don't know it could take 15 minutes it could take a week or it could take a month to really get to know a tune as well depending on the genre the style the difficulty all of those sort of things and also how much you're remembering of a piece you know how important the details are in the, in in the in the performance of it but for me, one thing I've, I've always just felt is necessary to do is just to be able to sing all of the parts, whether that's like singing uh, the main melody, which is really good, or being able to sing, say, the bass notes of how the chords move, or perhaps it's even being able to like sing or clap the rhythm of, say, an opening four bars or, or, or eight bars or whatever, because it gets you really internalizing all those aspects of what it means to learn. So for me personally, a lot of my learning comes from what I'm actually not doing at the instrument, but how I'm engaging with it otherwise. I'm going to ask the question everybody's thinking. Do you beatbox the drums? How else do you, how else do, you do it? Of course you beatbox the drums. <laughs> nice one. I do it in private. Well, you ca- <laughs> <laughs> right. In the bathroom, in the shower. Callum, what about you? What is your process? Oh, yeah. Boots and cats all day, all day. Uh, but yeah, no, my, my process, uh, yeah, it's all, it's definitely all ears. Um, listening first and then maybe backing up by, you know, looking at notation or something like that. Um, yeah, it's all about internalizing for me. Um, it's definitely the way that I teach that too. Uh, just to get the students, you know, internally um, feeling the rhythms that they're playing relative to a pulse that maybe they're keeping with their foot. Like all that stuff is really, really important so that they get the, the best kind of grasp of what they're learning um uh but yeah that's that's pretty much quickly summed up like it's all it's all ears that's basically nice. it yeah when i was younger particularly when i was in high school and my early days of uni actually i remember hearing about this process they're like oh yeah i just play by ear man and it was like this sort of i didn't really understand what they meant and it took me a while to realize that that's a skill you have to develop as much as you know, at the time, my ability to read tab, not even notation, was like, you know, that was easy for me and I could watch videos and see people play. But the idea of just learning something by ear was always such a weird concept to me until I was taught an actual process for learning it. And I think it's worth just noting that if someone is listening, they're like, yeah, but like how? It's like, you need to study, say like ear training, you know, that's a good place to start. But also just sit down with records and just, it takes ages at first, but slowly try and work out what is happening. Can you find one note on your instrument that this person's playing? And you can slowly start to piece the puzzle together after that. But it's a long process. I promise you, though, if you stick at it, you will be rewarded with it. Um, and there are different types of sort of software and technological things that we can use to make this easier for ourselves. I like to introduce people to the idea that you can actually slow stuff down on YouTube, which is so basic, but it kind of makes transcribing fast lines a hell of a lot easier if you can just slow it down. And then there are apps like, uh, I use one called AnyTune, which is the same as every other slowdown app that you can get, basically. You can change the pitch, you can change the speed, etc. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there uh, before Callum went for his point. Nice. Yeah, no, I was actually, I was just going to take back that it was all all um auditory it was actually now that i think about it in the growing age of youtube it became very visual um you know the more that we relied on seeing our favorite players actually play it's like you could really kind of hone in on the characteristics of what makes their playing their playing basically 
because you could see what mm. they were doing on the fretboard and then I could, you know, I could assign what I'm hearing with a visual too. So it's definitely that kind of visual backup as well as like listening because there's so many things, you know, if you if you learn songs that are in alternative tunings and you go to play, you know, something ah, that right. they start on like fret two and it's like, that's not the note that I'm playing. Why is that? So you kind of have yeah. to like reverse engineer things and like experiment with tunings and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just also fingerings how mm. things are actually being played from the, the, the player themselves. So, yeah, really, really visual too. I completely forgot about that. It's funny you mention that because I think I learned a lot like that in my first few years. But nowadays, I find it actually confuses me more. I think I've de- developed my ears to the point that I trust them way more sometimes in my eyes. I remember taking a lesson with someone called Ant Law. Shout out to Ant Law. He's an awesome player and teacher. I took a lesson with him. And he tunes all in fours. And we're playing, or I don't know, we're talking about a set of changes. And he was playing this chord. He's like, yeah. I'm like, that is not what I'm doing. I'm playing the same thing as him. Like, I was looking. I was like, what? And it took me a minute to realize, like, he's not tuned the same as me. <laughs> and very quickly, I just thought, like, I'm not going to look at what he's doing. Just use my ears. And I do find that when, like, if I'm in a rehearsal with other instruments, I can't rely on looking at say like the saxophone finger or something because it doesn't mean anything to me and i find that more often than not if i actually just switch my eyes off completely my ears are just like they are much stronger but i can understand why you know if you were trying to learn like a stevie ray vaughan thing and you were using your ears like maybe you couldn't pick up on the ways like attacking the notes or even what pickup selector is using which is an element you know like tone is an element of learning tunes i think so true um but yeah, it's, it's a good point. It just got me thinking about how that isn't as much a isn't as much a part of my process as it used to be. But. I think there's also in that you raised that, and I, I want to jump on it before we we move on. On ear training, I think the thing that we sometimes don't realize is how much of our daily life is about ear training as well. And I've noticed it as well. And like I often follow my ears. I've I've trained myself to pretty much follow my ears and then my eyes as well um just personally it just kind of seems to work for me um but i think we don't often value how much of just our daily life or what we do or when we sit down to play or even when we're kind of active listening to things is actually about ear training as well which i think is a really interesting proposition it means that anything that you go out and hear in the street whether it's like you know um i have to i often think about things like uh i don't know if there's construction going on in my road and they've got like jackhammers or something, you can start to hear like cross rhythms or you can start to hear uh, like the hum of an electrical line or whatever. And you hear, I don't know, sirens or that sort of thing. You start to kind of be able to play these funny little games where you think, oh, that siren is going from like a minor third and, you know, it's kind of it's going back towards two, two notes or whatever. But all of that stuff is engaging your brain to think about music, not from this place of like, can I sing a major sixth? Can I sing a minor third? Can I sing a, you know, a flat five or whatever? And I think that stuff is also really, really important to how you transition to to playing as well and, and composing. And yeah, it's 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 something that I think a lot of a lot of people think that ear training is just this one thing, which is we have to sit in a room and we have to be using musical stave paper or an app or, you know, whatever, marking it down uh, until I can hear it and that, you know, whatever. I don't think music is an exact science in some ways. And I think the only thing that really truly is an exact science to us, because it's our own 
um, individual realities is our ears and how we perceive things you know those five senses approach um and yeah we 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 have to only kind of rely on what 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 we know to be true which is what we see what we taste what we feel what we hear as well and i think it's just about valuing that there's so much that's encapsulated in ear training that isn't just the academic sense of the word as well which i think is is fascinating but you know on that topic of uh you're saying about about hearing things as well and like watching ant play and then thinking well hang on a minute <laughs> it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense to look at him i realized that and I'm saying this to all guitarists, if you are a guitarist listening to this, transcribe other instruments, man. Transcribe other instruments because it's so easy to get locked into the sound of your own instrument that whenever you hear the same material being played uh, on a piano or by strings or by horns, you don't recognize it. And what you start to do when you start to listen to other instruments is you start to identify the the music itself rather than the instrument that's playing it so it's a really big thing i remember transcribing a lot of uh and i still do this as well to be fair transcribing a lot of piano and i don't play any piano really i can lay down like some really basic chords if i get my my fingers in the right places but ultimately like i, I really don't know how to play the piano at all but i know how to play the guitar which is which is a completely different scenario so when i was listening to things um I was uh, I was I was listening to these 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 pieces that I wanted to transcribe this music that I wanted to transcribe. And I was trying to figure out like, well, how how does this voicing work? Is there a minor second interval going on here? I don't really know. Uh, let me just look at the 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 video and see what he's doing. And then I started to realize, of course, if you've ever seen somebody play piano, some, you know, most of the time the, the pianist's hands will cover a lot of the notes. So you can't really see it unless you're looking at it from a kind of a bird's eye view angle, really. So it relies on you to think, well, there's no other way around this. The music isn't online. So I'm going to have to try to hear every individual note. And I remember it being painstaking, man, trying to transcribe chords or sections of music that I really, really loved and appreciated. Um, but the only way around it was to just try to listen note by note by note. And eventually it got to a point where I started to recognize, hang on a minute, this is this is kind of similar to something that we do on the guitar and blah, blah, blah. It's a long process, but it's realizing that every time you sit down to test your ears and try to push them, you're making a significant jump in your ability to be able to hear music in a different context as well. Good point. I just want to say, sorry, if you can hear what sounds like a chainsaw outside there it's kind of bugging me but the way that i think about ear training or oral perception is those kind of exercises of being able to hear a perfect six or uh, sorry major six or a perfect fifth or whatever it's kind of like doing a bicep curl it's like an isolated exercise that gets you stronger at recognizing uh, a specific thing right now on its own it's not i wouldn't say it's particularly useful you know just being able to hear like a piano go dum, dum, and just know that that's a fifth or whatever um but the more you do that process sort, sort process sort of sort of like a bicep curl you can start finding areas to use that strength that you have developed for example what jack was just talking about there transcribing different instruments where you can't look at the piano or the didgeridoo <laughs> and visually see what note it is they're playing. You have to use your ears and engage them in that process. And that's why I think it is important to do um, 
the practice and the exercises are here in isolated intervals. But then, you know, even listening to the sounds outside and trying to make sense of what they are. Is that chainsaw a uh, bee piece? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a C. Uh... It's actually a B. <laughs> it's like it's B flat, like half sharp. Did you did you use your instrument to find that? No, I uh, I um when I'm looking for pitch, I reference the strings of the guitar in my head. So I go uh, like I usually go from the top down because it's it tends to be that these mechanical noises or bells are always G, like it's a G or a B. Um, I get that. So. But yeah, I'm always trying to just reference it from that, like E A D G B, and I usually kind of get all the way up there. But that's my reference. Mm. <laughs> cool, cool, nice. Well spotted. I thought it was a C. I just got a feeling I was like, sounded like a C. But cool. Anyway, I think that somewhere in our lives, probably many times, in fact, hundreds of times a day, we get a DM on Instagram, and it it looks like this, right? Got tabs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll tag you in something. And I think a lot of people whinge about that. They're like, oh, why are people using tabs? You should be using your ears. And I know we've just spent the first 20 minutes or so of this talking about, I guess, the importance of ear training. But that's not really what we set out to do here. I think what we want to do is have a discussion about different types of learning as well. And I think it's worth noting that, I mean, I'm sure we will all agree to some extent, happy to have a conversation about it, Tab's not that bad, you know, it's like, it's not the best by any means. In fact, I, I could happily do without it. But at a certain point in someone's development, it is like, it's quite a suitable thing to present to someone. So I'm wondering, as teachers, maybe Callum, you can start this one off. How do you approach making sure that your student has sufficient learning material, you know, for the style that they want to learn in? Do you always do the stave with tab or do you just have tabs or... How does that look like, or what does that look like for you? So I'll usually base that off of that kind of initial conversation slash consultation, just kind of seeing maybe if, they, if they've had experience before and they're strictly just like the numbers, um, I might keep them to the numbers. But if it's brand new, if it's a kind of brand new slate, I like combining the tab, you know, that numeric element with reading the rhythms because that always gives us an opportunity to kind of get our internal pulse going, just like trying to think of like a... Um, a tempo to tap things at so that we can hear and feel how long things should actually be because again that's the one piece of information that we don't get from tap um, and I feel like that's a really important one it's the same way that I'll teach you know time signatures it's like a lot of people for a first little bit a little bit of time um, in the beginnings of like their learning theory or things like that they won't know what the bottom number represents so it's always good to go okay this top number tells us how many of what and it leaves you with a question. You go down to that bottom number to find out what that actually is that you're counting. So what is actually getting the pulse? So it's the same way that I think about that. It's the same way that tab and uh, time signatures kind of give you one piece of information, but they also kind of leave you with needing something else. Now, you can always use your ear. Most people kind of rely on their ear to find the rhythmic information when they're just reading the tab. And that's fine because, again, we're still... Um, we're still using our ears, we're still gaining that skill of developing um, the relative ear training. Um, but yeah, it's definitely individual. Like it really kind of depends on that individual. And if I see them maybe being like more of a visual learner, maybe they're really good at picking up rhythms like that. It's quite, it's quite clear when students can just hear something and pick up the rhythm. And it's also quite clear when sometimes there's more students that struggle with that 
part of the process. So then you need to kind of change things based off of that. Uh, maybe they're better at reading uh, the rhythms if they can't internalize them. So uh, yeah, it's being prepared for all of those outcomes. It's definitely being prepared for giving that student the best chance. As it kind of goes back to that um, saying of like, don't judge a fish's ability to climb a tree because then it'll think it's an idiot his whole life, you know what I mean? So it's just like, using that, it's just like try and hone your students' you know, abilities, see what they're good at. See, are they really good at just listening to rhythm and picking it up straight away? Um, same with pitch, uh, you know, and then every so often you'll come across one that does have perfect pitch, and that happened not too long ago uh, with a high school student, uh, which was really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's just always it's just always trying to make sure that it's paving that path for that particular student i think there is also something inherently uh just in the nature of notation systems is that they're all in some way flawed they're all somewhere in some way flawed and they um they limit and they restrict how we teach and how we also learn music as well so in the west typically we think of music as existing within the 12 tones and anything is existing out of those 12 tones is considered exotic. It's the same with how we think of time signatures, key signatures, um, general harmony as well. It's very difficult for us to reimagine music from a different perspective unless we are obviously willing to learn things like the, the conical or we're willing to um, just understand, yeah, different ways in which music is, is, is understood and, and, and taught. So I think especially for like taking it back to kind of tab and notation and that sort of thing as well, I always find it it's a very interesting conversation to think about like alternative notation systems because ultimately none of them are going to be correct. It's very hard, for example, and I'm going to give credit to both tab and to standard notation in, in that tab is really, really good for showing you the exact fingering that's going on with somebody's playing. So that's excellent that way. The trade-off, unfortunately, is two things. The first thing being there's no real rhythmic property or there's no real rhythmic understanding of what's going on with the music so it truly is just a bunch of um fingering passages and 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 specific frets kind of being used of course you know you sometimes see like rhythm underneath but like they don't really tell you anything about um the grouping or or what it really looks like on on the stave or, or that sort of thing but also there's a bigger problem as well which guitarists will know almost immediately which is of course piano players deal with this as well and every piano player that's ever sat down to play will try to see, well, what's my biggest spread? Like, how many notes can I really hit? And then he'll start to look at guys like Rachmaninoff and go, man, that guy was crazy. How could he, how could he stretch so far? Um, and it presents an obvious restriction almost immediately, which is we all are built different. We all have completely different hands. We all have different ways of holding the instrument. Our fingers are different as well. So there are some pieces of music, and this, this sucks to realize, because for some people, there's stuff that your hands are just not going to be able to do. And it's not because you've not played or practiced hard enough. It's just simply due to the physiology of your hands. And there's stuff that I've, I've felt for a long time, um, either to do flexibility or just like the spacing between my hands. I can't really grab so easily. Um, but it's, it's, it's just been comfortable with the fact that, okay, if, if your physiology is different, then your music's going to sound a bit different. That's great. So... How that gets onto tab is whenever I put out uh, like educational material, so whether that's through Patreon or through my private lessons as well, I often create kind of PDFs that detail the stuff that we've worked on with, with, with each student. 
And I will put the notation up top and then I'll put the tab below. And I always think it's really interesting that sometimes a student will struggle with the tab and I'll say to them, realize that there are multiple different ways to play the same line because it's not correct or so like it's not more correct to just use my um pattern or my fingering of my line because my hands are different i have a weird stretch on you know from my pinky to my to my first finger and that's the thing that works for me i hybrid pick maybe this way instead of this way because it works for me there we go there's that spock stretch <laughs> you really do have like quite a massive space in between your your middle two fingers don't you jeez I think man I'm, i think i'm part frog what that's actually pretty like crazy man it's like that, that that definitely got dislocated when you're younger and never set back, right? No, see, it's it's something <laughs> called hyperflexibility. Um, yeah. Or hyperextension or something like that. Yeah, hyperextension. So it's like, you know, my elbows sort of do the same thing. You can't really see it under my shirt, but my elbows kind of invert oh. a little more than oh, wow. possible. Right. So, you know, whenever the remote goes down the back of the couch, you know everybody's looking at me to go and get it. Um, <laughs> but again, this this is part of it. It's like there are trade-offs to it as well there's stuff that's not so easy as well yeah um but yeah typically when it, when it, when i talk to students who they say well my limitation is my hands how do i grow my hands and i'm like just <laughs> take into account how crazy that is as a question and think to yourself maybe the music is wrong and you're not and that to me that makes more sense as a conclusion as well so it's then about readapting and saying okay great so i can't i can't stretch you know whatever 12 12 frets at a time but I realize that I can find the same note or I can basically recreate the same sound by just using a different technique. So, yeah, it's an important thing. Notation as well has problems in that notation doesn't present you the one way to do something as well, which oftentimes can be frustrating because you can play one single phrase with like five or six different fingering patterns and the emphasis of each of those notes in the pattern changes entirely. And, you know, guitarists will know this as well, that you can sometimes buy like, you know, transcription books or whatever, or you can see stuff online and you've picked it up from a guitarist. And when you play it, you go, man, this sounds nothing like, you know, player A. Why doesn't it sound anything like him? I'm playing the notes, but it doesn't work. It's because we're not taking into account like the uh, the pick, the the action of the pick or like how you're using it or any of those sort of things. So, yeah, ultimately, I think notation systems are always going to be flawed and alternative notation systems do a really good job of, of fixing one of the issues, but they ultimately always end up with another issue. So say you managed to create a notation system that solved all of those problems for the guitarist. So it solved the fingering problem, it solved um, the best decision for your hands or whatever. Uh, then you've got the problem of how much information are you willing to put into one stave to the point that it becomes mm. an, a, a complete kind of academic exercise to read every single bar. And then you think to yourself, at the end of the day, does this, can, can you encapsulate all the beauty of music really in a notation system? And I think the thing that I'm sort of learning is no, you can't. Because the beauty of music is really in the interpretation of it, not in what you can document of it. So... That's my own personal kind of conclusion to it, but it's made a lot of sense when I've gone to learn it as well, is that the goal is not to kind of copy it and to be able to do it perfectly. It's to work within my restrictions. All right. On that point, would you say that ears, like you learn to use your ears are more important 
is is more important than learning to read notation. Because mm. I would personally say that. I think that then enables you to even learn music that wouldn't be written on, say, the clef that you your instrument's in. You know, you could learn bass clef quite easily. Well, inverted commas, bass clef. You could learn instruments that play in bass clef or whatever else it may be. So, I mean, do you two agree that ears are the superior <laughs> root here? I think... um the, the ultimate saying is music is in music is when like it sounds good it's good i think that's mm. for me that's that's what it does you know that's what it essentially is um although you know there's many other things that um have contributed to like helping the ear out or like you know just things like that helping you get a better picture um but ultimately it, it's really got to be that listening exercise first right yeah, I mean, there are so many different ways up the mountain, right? Yeah. You know, someone might get to the exact same beautiful performance uh, reading it, sight reading it even. Like some people are able to somehow capture all a lot of pieces of essence just with their eyes. Not me, not me at all. I'm, I'm not that guy. I can certainly read music, but it's not my go-to. I think my ears can capture a much more well-rounded view of what's being asked to me in a certain piece yeah i think you're right like i think the um it doesn't it doesn't understate or undermine it doesn't undermine the importance of notation of course like notation is still very important for uh being able to record our ideas or the the loose ideas of what's going on but there is and maybe this wasn't expressed to me enough when i was kind of growing up which is that your interpretation is also one of the most important interactive things that you need to incorporate it is that creative aspect of things as well especially in the classical world it's about saying if you have to adapt it that's okay but find a creative means where both it works for you and you feel that you've got some flexibility to perhaps approach a phrase or a passage in as many different ways as you can so a lot of the time i think people look at notation as just doing the one job which is you're supposed to play it like this because it says this. When in actual fact, what we know is there's so much that isn't taken into account um, that really, you know, it, it's why like you can listen to two people play Bach and they sound completely different from each other. I mean, the music's the same, of course, but the interpretation is completely different because they're thinking about using rubato in some passages. They're then thinking about using legato in some. They mess with the dynamics of it because the music allows for it. It specifically doesn't use... Um, hyper detail in passages because it wants you to interact with it. You're not a drone or a robot. You have to interact with the music in the way that makes sense to you as well. Um, I think it's a, personally, I think it's a shame that we mark people based on how they interpret a score. Um, that's perhaps a conversation for another day. But I think ultimately, it's a pinch of salt that you have to take with with um, notation systems. But they are a good way at the end of the day to 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 learn a lot of Western music. Yeah, I think ultimately they're just trying to describe, it's a way of, well, notating sound. And it's quite a hard thing to do. It's like, I don't know if there ever will exist a perfect system. And I think the systems we have described right now are appropriate. You know, that's, that's why they get used. But just before we wrap up, because we are nearly at the end of our time here, is I did want to mention a couple alternative uh, notation systems that people use. The first one is graphic notation. If you've never saw graphic notation, it's a, a type of 
notation that aims to represent music through a visual visual symbols outside of music. A simple way of thinking about it is you could have a square with like say three lines and three by three by three and it could be like number one, two, three. Number one represents the hi-hat, number two is the bass drum, etc. So you could assign symbols like that, but if you can have a look at some of these scores and they're actually kind of beautiful. It's like a, some of them use color and shades and like different shapes. Yeah, just search up graphic notation and you'll find some really cool stuff. I've been interested at experimenting with that myself actually, trying to write a piece using some of that stuff. That'd be fun. And the other one I wanted to mention, one that I do have a little bit more experience with, is called figure notes. And figure notes is a type of musical notation that uses shapes and colors on a line, much like our own muta uh, like mutation, <laughs> much like normal music notation, let's just say, chromatic notation or whatever. Um, but it will be like a red circle then a blue square. And each one of those have defined note names. I think a red circle is C. And the idea is that you could stick them on your instrument and link it up to the the score. And now this is a type of notation that I have experience using with people with uh, additional support needs. It's not something I would necessarily use with like a student who came to me who was like totally fine reading uh, even words and could already play a little bit. But I thought it'd be worth mentioning that and shout out to Drake Music Scotland who have helped push that out in the UK and make music accessible to those who are reading music accessible to those who couldn't access it before. Cool. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Callum, who's going to wrap up this episode. Amazing. Nice. Well, yeah, no, that's been super interesting. So um, thanks very much for the for the chat there. Thanks to the listeners. Um, we hope you've enjoyed that one. That was a super interesting one to talk about. Um, but before we go, just remember that you can leave us a nice review, if you like, um, on Spotify and uh, iTunes. Is that the one? iTunes? Yeah, Apple, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah, amazing. Um, We're looking for fives all around. Fives, yeah, exactly. Just give us a nice big five. Amazing. So, yeah, until next time, uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>